Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Today's reading was written at a time when Christianity was flourishing, with teachers traveling far and wide, like circuit riders, as there was no hotel or motel chains that would keep the light on for you. These teachers would rely on local Christians to provide food and lodging. Like all good things, there were those who looked to take advantage. Today's reading and the letter that comes after speaks to this. Let us attend to these words from 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I was overjoyed to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as if we have been commanded by the Father. But now, dear lady, I ask you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Let us love one another. And this is love, that we all walk according to his commandments, that this is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning. You must walk in it. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Be on your guard so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but may receive a full reward. Everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ, but goes beyond it, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Do not receive into the house or welcome anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching. For to welcome is to participate in the evil deeds of such a person. Although I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you their greetings. The word of the Lord. When I was a boy, I used to have worship services on Sunday afternoon at home. I don't remember exactly when that started, but have a vivid recollection of times when we lived in Decatur, Georgia, 
when after we got home from church and had finished lunch, I would set up some chairs in the living room and then invite my parents and siblings to join in another time of worship. I suspect the family dog was invited too. In those days, I didn't memorize my sermons, but instead wrote them out by hand. And I have a copy of what I think is my very first sermon from May 1st, 1966, when I was seven and a half years old. As you might guess, that artifact, like most of the ones that I've shared with little ones here over the years, is in my possession only because my mother saved it. And so, I'd like to share with you that message from that day. It was entitled, What is the Church? And you may notice as I'm reading it, I have to tilt the page a little bit, as my lines weren't so straight. Here's what I had to say. A church is where people go to worship God. You're a part of the church when you a baby. You can worship God everywhere, in the church, and in jail, and in Japan, and at your home, and with your family, and the whole world. I underline that last phrase for emphasis. I went on to say, can you know God's will? Always trust in God. Always serve God. Never serve idols. We will trust God to teach us to think God's thoughts, not only yours. Do God's thoughts after your thoughts. Even with appropriate pacing on that day, I'm guessing that that sermon with its multiple themes lasted all of 30 seconds. And there may be some here who think that's still a good time frame to follow. <laughs> and yet I got encouragement from my family on that day, and so it wasn't the only time that I wrote and delivered a sermon. And after a few weeks of that, decided I want to mix things up just a bit. And so before my congregation of six gathered in our living room, I went to the kitchen and cut up some bread and prepared some juice. After I finished my sermon, I said, now it's time for communion. And immediately both of my parents stopped me. I don't remember exactly what they said in that moment, but it was very clear that communion was not something that we used in pretend church from a pretend preacher. And so even though I didn't understand their reasoning at the time, what became clear to me in that moment is that there's something different and sacred about the Lord's Supper that endures. I be as I began reflecting on the biblical text before us, I thought back to that moment when I was the same age as today's scripture bearer. There is nothing in those verses that tells anything about communion per se. But over the course of that passage, we do hear that eternal question being raised. Namely, what is never to change in the church? And what is essential at times 
to be changed. Our passage today consists of the entirety of 2 John. That letter, we believe, was written to a number of different congregations at the same time. And by verse count, it is the shortest in the entire New Testament, and by words, only second to being the shortest. Here's how it begins. The elect, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also who all know the truth. The elder of whom he speaks in there was not someone who had been elected to church office. Rather, this was a man who was among the last who had walked with Jesus and thus had this position of honor and respect in the community. Likewise, the lady to whom this letter is addressed was not an individual, but to the churches as a whole. After a word of greeting, He continues, I was overjoyed to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. But now, dear lady, I ask you not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning, let us love one another. Last Sunday, we focused on that key teaching from Jesus about love and it emerged from one of Paul's letters that was our text on that day. In John's case, he is raising up that law for a very different reason. As he goes on to say, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh. John is naming a struggle that was present in those early centuries of the church, namely some wondering if Jesus had simply been a good man whom God had adopted because of his faithfulness, or if in fact Jesus was the word made flesh, what scripture spoke of as Emmanuel. Some of these itinerant teachers were holding to that first view, and John is offering a strong word of correction against that heresy. He encourages them to resist people that he says are either the deceiver or the antichrist. And then he moves on and says this, everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ, but goes beyond it, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. In this moment, John is talking in particular about this issue of God taking on flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, and yet his instruction goes beyond that issue and names the timeless question before the church. How do we remain faithful and relevant? How do we hold on to what is timeless while hearing new insights along the way? The presence of over 200 Christian denominations 
in the United States and nearly 40,000 around the world reveal that there have been many different answers to those questions. And so when individuals who believe that they have learned the truth encounter other Christians who hold a different response, the reaction can be strong. A comedian named Enos Phillips talked about that reality in one of his stand-up bits a number of years ago. He said, in a conversation with a person I recently met, I asked, are you Protestant or Catholic? My new acquaintance replied, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? <laughs> he answered, Baptist. Me too, I said, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist, he answered, me too, I shouted. We continued to go back and forth, he continued. Finally, I, I, I asked, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He replied, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And Philip said to him, you heretic. <laughs> While John's words could be heard to encourage that kind of strong retort, anytime someone goes what he perceived to be beyond the teachings of Christ, I think the issue he's raising is more complicated and nuanced than that. One scholar in reflecting upon John's letter says this, one of the most difficult things about Christianity, which began as a movement of newness and creativity of the spirit, is to find ways of preserving new insights once they become traditional. How can our religion manage to preserve the freshness and distinctiveness of its beliefs and ways of life without falling apart into fads and meaningless innovations or falling back into cultural traditionalism or falling down into a closed-minded and narrow dogmatism. Second John, he said, may not give us a very clear answer to this question, but it does help us to focus on the need for asking it. We are part of a faith tradition that speaks of the church as being reformed always to be reformed, which means that there are times when we gain new insights that change our pattern of living out the faith moving forward. That's certainly true about the Presbyterian Church. Our style of worship on this day is not identical to what was true of the Church of Scotland when John Knox preached in Edinburgh in the 16th century. And I know that there are members of the Presbyterian Church who have joined in the last 15 years where things have changed in regards to who can be a minister and a church officer. 
Who can be married in our sanctuary? And what does it mean to be actively engaged in the world? Those kinds of questions live on. And we walk this kind of balance between what John said in writing that whoever moves beyond the teachings of Christ does not have God. Taking that instruction seriously while also being a church reformed, always to be reformed. John doesn't define for us, beyond this issue of Jesus' incarnation, in explaining what does it mean to abide in Christ's teaching or to go beyond Christ's teaching. And that's the challenge still we face. When can we determine that the church has gone too far? Or when can we determine that the church has not gone far enough? It is a question for which there is no easy answer. And thus, I'd like for us to ponder that question by reflecting upon the practice of the Lord's Supper over the years. There was a time as I mentioned to the children a few minutes ago, when in the week prior to the Lord's Supper being observed in a congregation that the pastor and an elder would visit every member of that congregation. And the purpose of that visit was to determine if that member had adequate knowledge or was living an upright life so that they could receive one of those coins, one of those tokens to share in the Lord's Supper. Further back still, there was this practice known as fencing the table. When it came time for Lord's Supper and a particular worship service, the pastor would spend as much as an hour seeking to keep people from the table, to fence them off. Persons that he, and it would always have been he in those days, persons that he viewed as ignorance, unbelieving, or profane. The way he went about it was expounding upon the articles of the Apostles' Creed one by one, and then by offering instruction on the sins forbidden in the Ten Commandments. Both of those practices of the token and the fencing of the table likely grew out of something Paul wrote about, warning individuals not to approach the Lord's table unprepared, but Jesus never spoke those words. And the one who lived during that time of offensing the table said that the preacher never stopped until he had solemnly debarred from the ordinance every one of his people and himself to boot. Thankfully, we don't follow any of those practices any longer. But there have been other changes in how we share in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Long before I was ordained, the Presbyterian Church in most locations moved away from using wine as part of that meal, substituting grape juice for it. 
And it's been during my tenure here that we have moved entirely to offering gluten-free bread. During my growing up years, children were forbidden to take the Lord's Supper until they had been confirmed. And then it was modified to include them only once they had been baptized. And now today, our directory of worship says, the table is open to all, the cup and the bread, regardless of their age or understanding. And then there was the change that was brought about by COVID-19. Ten years ago, I preached a sermon from this pulpit in which I was sharing with you the news I had just heard about a United Methodist Church in North Carolina that was offering online communion. And looking back on that sermon, I discovered that while I didn't explicitly talk against it, I was clearly uncomfortable with that whole idea. And yet, the longer we lived into that pandemic from which we have finally emerged, we extended that opportunity for all who are worshiping with us in the sanctuary or online using whatever elements they had to share in that meal together. Were all of those changes in keeping with the teachings of Christ? I think so. For we know that it is part of that Last Supper that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and didn't go on to explain how that should be done or who was eligible to participate in it. We also know that Jesus on another day said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them, and that it was on another occasion yet when he said, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am present with, there with them. Words that to my hearing say that to be consistent with Jesus' teaching allows for that opportunity of opening the table to all, including those who cannot be physically present with us when we share in the sacrament. All of those changes reflect this dynamic tension between what John was speaking of long ago and our understanding that every generation brings about new insights into the ways and will of God. And thus it is on this day that we commit ourselves once again to those words of the apostle of long ago who said that all that we do is to grow out of the teaching of Christ. And at the same time, our renewed commitment to allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us into what it will mean today and in the future to be a church reformed and always being reformed. And to engage in that difficult and yet critical work in such a way that it might be true of us as well as John said long ago, Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. May it be so. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.